Morning, everybody. I don't know where the button is. On, oh, is it working anyway? On top, brother. On top. Press it until it goes green. Thanks. Yay. It went green. Thanks. Thank you. You know, we've been, um, I, I think very wisely, our pastor had chosen to talk about the person and work of Jesus Christ. Um, as uh, one of the last things we talk about together with uh, John still here. And so, what, you know, this is a beautiful thing. Um, We've been talking about who Jesus is and what he does, and I want to say that what you believe about God changes every aspect of your life, no matter where you are. I mean, not just your church life. Not just when you're teaching Sunday school. Not just when you're doing something that people would call religious. But every area of your life is radically and very fundamentally changed by the way you think of who God is. It's just that, like, for instance, if I'm mistaken about who my wife is, that would affect our marriage and my whole life, wouldn't it? If you were mistaken about who your husband is, uh, you know, I mean, how many times have we heard people uh, on the brink of separation say, this is not the man that I married. I don't know who this man is. Uh, uh, you know, it really helps to know. It helps to know. And the Bible says that all of us, men and women, we are the bride of Jesus Christ. And it pays to know who he is and how he reveals himself to us in Holy Scripture. So, Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us with that, because this is way over my pay grade to talk about such things that are too high for me. So, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ, who has come into the world to save us from our sins. We thank you that we have hope in Jesus. We thank you that because of Jesus, we have an access to the Father in heaven and a welcome to a God who is good, whose intentions are good towards us. And Lord, we thank you that you have revealed all these things infallibly in your word, so that when we receive it, we're receiving the very words of God. And I pray that that's what would stick today. I pray, Lord, that you would show us Jesus, show us something of his glory, something of his beauty, something of his kindness, something of his love, and equip us to receive that love. Because, Lord, we have a lot of stuff inside of us that resists it. And we're in process. But you're not giving up. And we so thank you for that. So, Lord, we pray that you'd help us today. Help us to receive the word of God. Help me to preach it accurately. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we're going to get into John 14 in a little while, but not quite yet, because I want to lay a little bit of a foundation, a whole Bible understanding of where Jesus fits in as part of, of uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God. All right, so strap on your seatbelts. Let's do some theology. Who says Jesus is the Son of God? Well, first of all, you go right to the very first page of your scriptures and you begin to get a clue. Because in the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, God created the heavens and the earth. And then God says, let us make man 
in our image, which makes the reader who knows there's only one God say, us who? Well, there's a little bit of a clue there, because in the second verse of Genesis 1, it says that the Spirit of God was involved in the creation. And then if you look at Hebrews chapter 1, it says in these last days, he has, God has spoken to us by his Son, through whom also he made the universe. Now we have three persons. God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son. One God, three persons, equal in power and glory, involved in creating the universe, creating you. The sonship of Jesus Christ is what I'm talking about today. It is, like I say, way over my pay grade to even begin to talk about it. But I'm going to scratch the surface with you a little bit in hopes that you will learn the rest of your life. What does it mean for Jesus Christ to be the Son of God? And what does that mean to me and how is that going to change my life? So we'll just start that process right now. Or maybe we'll continue it. I'm sure you're all in that process. The Son always was... He is eternal with the Father. But when the fullness of times had come, God sent His Son. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son so that when the angel visited Mary, a uh, a teenage virgin, um, and, 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 and said to her that you are going to become pregnant without the help of a man, and that he, said, he said that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. God the Father, later on as Jesus you know, grows up and begins to preach and, and to do good, um, to heal people, Just as he begins his ministry, he is baptized because he says it is right for us to fulfill all righteousness. And as he comes up out of the water, the father says, this is my son. This is my beloved son, and I'm thrilled with him. And there was another time when the disciples who followed Jesus got a little bit of a glimpse of the brightness of his glory. And he's up on the mountain And he became so bright, his clothes were brighter than anybody could launder them. And he's shining before them. And the Father in heaven says, this is my son, hear him. And so, you know, even the demons have got decent theology here. John was preaching last week. He's talking about Jesus casting out demons, and the demons would talk back to him first, and they'd say, Who, what, you to have, what, what have you to do with us, O Son of God? You know, James said that they had terrific theology. They just didn't live by it. And so Paul, Paul, who wrote much of the uh, New Testament after the Gospels, was a persecutor of the followers of Jesus, and when he got saved the first thing he did was he went around from synagogue to synagogue preaching that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So, the church has had a, had a little trouble with this. How can God be one, and how can God be three? Does one plus one plus one equal one? In this case, yes, but not in the same way, in the same relationship. When God 
reveals himself as one God, he's talking about his being. The Son, the Father, the Holy Spirit share in the being of what we call one God. Yet they are three distinct persons. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. The Father is not the Holy Spirit. They are distinct persons. They can confer with each other. They can say, let us make man in our own image. They can, uh, uh, the, the Father can talk to the Son. The Son can talk to the Father. They've had fellowship, beautiful, perfect, lovely, uh, love-giving, love-receiving fellowship from eternity. In fact, relationship is one of the most fundamental things you can ever engage in because it's been happening for eternity. Three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, having a wonderful time. Relating to one another, listening to one another, loving one another, glorifying one another. But the church has always had a little trouble with this. The people would arise in the church, like one dude named Arius, and he said, "Um, you know, we believe in one God, so Jesus can't be God, then that makes two. And so the church had to study the scriptures and see what the scriptures are all saying. And bringing all the scriptures together, they came up in the 4th century, 300-something A.D. And by the way, you know why it took three centuries for them to come to this? Because they were getting kicked around and persecuted for the first two centuries of our existence. So after a while, after, after things began to settle down, and enjoying a little time of legality, Christianity became legal in, the, in 300-something A.D., they could have a meeting. <laughs> And they could talk about who is Jesus, who is the Father, who is the Son, who is the Holy Spirit. And this is what they came up with. Do you have the Nicene Creed ready? Let's just say this together. Christian, what do you believe? Let's go. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and the Giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. That's what the church has been confessing together ever since 325 A.D. That's a long time, y'all. We believe in the same thing. And so, like I'm saying, it's really important. Why am I telling you this? At the end of the book of John, where he says, 
He says, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written. Why? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So I've told you that there are many witnesses in Scripture that all say the same thing, Jesus Christ is the Son of God, in a unique way. Now, what does it mean that Jesus is the Son of God? It means so much. I've got about, oh, three or four hours of material up here, and uh, we could be here for a long time, but I'm just going to try to get through it quickly, and if you guys pray for me, we'll get the most important things said. What does it mean that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? I'm going to read John chapter 14. And, I, and as I read it, I want you to listen to Jesus talking about his Father and about his relationship with his Father and how his relationship with his Father and the sending of the Spirit makes a difference in the lives of the disciples that he's talking to. Think about that as I read. John chapter 14. Listen to the Word of God. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me, says Jesus. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may also be, and you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth. And the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also, but now, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and that's enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long? And do you still not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live. And in that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you." Whoever has my commandments and keeps him, it is he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, not the bad one, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, 
He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I'm going away and, I'm going, and I will come to you. If you love me, you would rejoice because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I've told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father had commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father, rise. Let's go from here. We could spend weeks and weeks and weeks in that one chapter. But I just want to highlight some things about the relationship of the Father and the Son. The context is this, that Jesus has been living and working with these same 11 men. There were 12, one defected in the, in the previous chapter. And he has sat down and had dinner with them. And he instituted at that time what we celebrate together as the Lord's Supper. And he has just gotten through telling them that he's going to be, uh, that he's going to leave them. And that uh, Peter uh, is not going to uh, do so well. That he is going to deny three times that he knows Jesus even before the sun comes up the next day. And so he says, but don't let your hearts be troubled. He says, I'm going to the Father, and I'm going to ask the Father to send the Holy Spirit. Three persons, not one person doing three different things. See, this is why, this is why there is no good way of explaining the Trinity. you just got to kind of declare it. You know, like I could say, oh, it's like this. I'm one person and I am a father, and I am a husband, and a grandfather. Three. One, three, and one, three. Doesn't work. That's me doing three different things. That's called modalism. It's wrong. You can say, oh, okay, okay, I know, I know. It's like an egg. You know, the egg's got a shell, and it's got the white part, and it's got the yellow part. Three parts, one egg. No. Because the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not three parts. They are three persons. The Son is God. The the Spirit is God. The Father is God. They are not part of God. They are not one-third of God. They are God. And you say, well, how do you understand it? I don't. But I believe it with all my heart. Not because I've taken a foolish step of faith, but because I've been reading the word of the God has proved himself reliable over and over and over again and has never done me wrong. That's why I believe it. Then he says, another another aspect of the sonship of Jesus Christ is that he himself is fully God. And just like a few chapters before, John chapter 5 says, For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking him all the more to kill him, because he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And then he says, and uh, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, an hour is coming when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. Do you hear the authority in those words? The dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and 
those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, so he gave the Son to have life in himself. Only God can give life to the dead, and the Son is equal with the Father. Now, as the Son, he is the way to the Father. And this is wonderful, wonderful news. Because, you know, throughout the Old Testament, as God has planned for proper worship of himself, he's had to say that I am holy and you are not. Therefore, there has to be some distance. And so he created the tabernacle and the temple. And in both the tabernacle and the temple, there was this inner place called the holiest place of all, or the holy of holies. And, and to separate people from, from, uh, from God, there was this veil, this heavy, thick, opaque curtain. And that curtain's job was to say to the people of Israel and to the rest of the world, God is holy, so stay out for your own good. But the way, the Son of God, the way, the truth, the life, sent into the world, becomes the Lamb of God, slain for the sins of all of His people. And what happened when He died was that that whole veil that separated holy God from unholy people ripped from top to bottom and instead of saying stay out it says come on in because he is the way he is the way he doesn't say well I know the way he says I am the way that's like when people say to me when I come to tune their piano do you have a tuner and they're referring to this little electronic tuning device I say no I am the tuner That's my pride talking, sorry. It's true, though. I mean, you know, Jesus is the way. He, he doesn't just know the way, he is the way. That's really good news. Such good news. There is no other way. No matter how sincere you are, Jesus, the Son of God, is the one hope for you, for your family, for your neighbors, for your friends, your co-workers, and your world. The way, there is a way to God, and he's a person. Oh, I could go on. I could go on. Next, the Son reveals the Father, verses 8 through 10. What is God like? I used to have three, you know, when I was a pastor, uh, you know, you take great pride in your bookshelf. You know, you want to see a bookshelf out there, and you want to see all those titles. I had three titles that were right up next to each other. One was, What is God Like? That's one book. The next one to it was, Your God is Too Small. And the next one to that was, your God is too white. Uh, You know, we need to know who God is. We need to know what God is like. And so what Jesus Christ comes and does is that he reveals God. Do you know why there is a second commandment? What is the second commandment? Anybody know? You shall not what? I think I heard the words graven image in there. Right. Don't make a graven image. You know why? Because God doesn't want to be misrepresented. You see, that there's nothing on, you know, in, in, the, in the holiest place. There was nothing sitting on that seat. You know, there were wings of sculpted angels overshadowing the seat. But there's nothing sitting there. You know why? It was reserved for Jesus. The book of Hebrews says that he is the exact representation of God. He images God. He reveals God. No one has seen God at any time, says John chapter 1, verse 18. But the Son of God, 
has revealed him to us. So that's why Jesus seems a little frustrated with Philip when Philip says, well, just show us the Father. And Jesus said, you saw him already. If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. You want to know what God is like? Then read the Gospels and watch Jesus Walk around and interact with beggars and with hookers and with tax collectors and religious leaders and the rich young ruler, healing sick people, giving life to dead people, authority over evil spirits and his love and his holiness and enjoy. See what our God is like. Also, he reveals, and this is, this, this is, a, this is one that really affects us deeply, I think. He reveals what it's like to live in the world as a son trusting in his father's love. That's something we, probably every one of us in this room, struggles with. We're we're, we're attracted to the survival mode, to the orphan mode, the I'm going to make my own way because nobody's going to make it for me mode. We're attracted to that because we forget we've got a father that we can trust. Jesus did not come into the world as a desperado, loose cannon vigilante. He came as a son, obedient, even unto death, even death on the cross. We work so hard. You know, I just listened to a beautiful testimony this week um, from a pastor who said that, you know, we, we work so hard at trying to be leaders and parents and teachers. Jesus concentrated on being a son. Jesus constantly talked about his father. Jesus identified himself as his son more than he talked about his own deity. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But I just want to have that hanging in your your head. Here's another thing. Jesus does the father's will. The father plans the salvation of his people from before the creation of the world. The Son executes the plan, and the Holy Spirit links you up with the plan. Do you see how everyone is doing the Father's will? Jesus said, the words that I speak are not my own words, they are my Father's words. And Jesus also says that the Father is greater than I. Wait a minute, didn't I just get, say, get done saying that they were equals? How can those two things be true? This is another beautiful scriptural concept. The Father is greater than I. The Father calls the shots, I obey, says the Son. That doesn't mean that the Son is of any less essence than the Father. There, imagine that. You can have submission and equality in the same place at the same time. The Father makes the plan, the Son executes the plan. And he says twice in this chapter, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And he says, I keep the Father's commandments. He does the Father's will. He does the Father's will in coming and and giving his life for his people. And then, 
It is the Son who, after dying for our sins, asks the Father for the promised Holy Spirit to give to you so that the church will do greater things, even greater than the disciples had ever seen up to that point, bringing the life-changing, life-saving gospel to every part of the world, seeing people from every nation saved and forgiven and healed and transformed by the Spirit of God, applying the finished work of the crucified and resurrected Son of God to the hearts of everyone who believes. This is beautiful. As the Son of God, He has the authority to say to the Father, Father, You promised the Holy Spirit. Now it is time to send the Holy Spirit to My people, to the church, to make them what they could never be without Him. This is a supernatural gathering. And so is every other church that trusts in Jesus Christ and does His will. You're filled, the church has been filled with the Holy Spirit. You're commanded to constantly be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? So that you can do those greater works that Jesus said you would do. All right. And finally, it says, I'm coming back. I'm going to take you to be with me so that you can be where I am. And you know what that is? That means that you don't go to God to get what you want. It means that when you come through Jesus Christ, you get God, which is better than all the other stuff you wanted in the first place. So what do I do with Jesus, the Son of God? How does this change my life? And this is, I'm going to end here. I've got five things and um, so much more to be said, but I got, I'm just going to narrow it down to five things. What do I do with Jesus, the Son of God? Come to the Father through Jesus Christ, the Son. He is the new and living way to approach God. You can come to God without shame. You can come to God being completely forgiven of all of your sins. You can come to God clean. And and you can have fellowship with a holy, holy, holy God all because of the work of the Son. It says, um, God has given us eternal life. John, in one of his epistles, verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 12, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who has not the Son has not life. Um, If you're coming to church today because you're going through the motions, or maybe you're just checking this out and you're not sure where you stand with all of this stuff about Jesus, but the one thing you're sure about is that you're not sure. And you're not sure where you stand with God, that if, 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 if Jesus came back today, would you be ready? Or would you have to, um, or, or would you have to scramble? And you find that there's no time to scramble. Are you ready? You can be ready if you come to the Father through Jesus Christ the Son. And that simply means that instead of me trying to, uh, to, to gain God's approval by anything that I do, I rest in all that Christ did. And I'm identified with Jesus Christ. And I'm unified with Jesus Christ. I, 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 there's this mystical unity that happens which I can also not explain which is true, (laughs) where I am bound together with Jesus Christ. 
I'm with Him. I'm with Him. So, I know without being arrogant about my own righteousness that if Jesus Christ came right now, that I would be welcomed. I know that. But it's not because of, you know, because I'm doing a religious thing. It's not because I have cleaned up my life. If you knew my life, if you knew all the little cracks and crevices in my life, you would say, boy, he really needs Jesus. And yes, I do. But I know I'm ready because I'm with him. Um, Our uh, bass player in our band and I went down to uh, Temple University um, a couple months ago to hear a piano player we're thinking about, you know, getting into the band. And so... um, now, the cool thing about my bass player is that he works for SEPTA. And so, so we, we get to the Fern Rock Station, and, um, and uh, I'm digging in my pocket, you know, hoping I've got, you know, the uh, uh, money to, to get on the thing. He just, he, he looks at the guy in the booth, and he holds up a little car, he says, he's with me. And I walk right in there. Whoa! Wow, that's really something. I didn't pay anything. I was just with the right guy at the right time. He's with me. We come back to the uh, station. We come back to the station at Temple. And um, he holds up his little card, says to the guy in the booth, he's with me. Great. No charge. But I'm with the right guy at the right time. And this is exactly... I mean, in a very small way compared, but seriously. (laughs) You walk straight into the gates of heaven to a holy, holy, holy God who loves you because I'm with Him. I'm with Him. (laughs) He made the way for me. He is my way. So, um, I just want to... I want to encourage you to ask your... Ask yourself the question, am I with Jesus? Or am I trying to do this on my own? Secondly, feast on the glory of God revealed by the Son. It says in 2 Corinthians, Paul wrote, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Read that again. God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I've heard it said, religious people find God useful. Believers find him beautiful. We don't see God as an end to something we want. We see God is the end. We see God as the treasure. We see God as what we want more than anything else. We just don't know it half the time. There's lots of spirituality, lots of religious church people who use God to get them what they want out of life. Ten steps to prosperity. Five steps to overcoming fear. How about 2 Corinthians 4, 6-18, through 18, not using Jesus to get rid of our troubles, but we're saying that we see Jesus... The glory of God in the face of the sun is a greater treasure than a trouble-free life, so bring it on. My treasure is Jesus, the Son of God. Listen to this. Um, 
I want to I keep reading there a little bit. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and, uh, you know, hey, welcome, welcome to the interesting life of following Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, uh, chapter 4, verse 7, we have this treasure, the treasure that I just spoke about, about the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh, so that death is at work in us, but life in you. Do you see what he is saying? He is saying that all of this trouble and all this stuff that we're going through, we get Jesus, and that is enough for us. That is the treasure. All right. Three. Live like you got a Father in heaven. We talked a little bit about this and began to open that up. Learn from Jesus how that is done. How many of you said, I got hurt deeply as a kid, and I'm never going to let myself get hurt again? So you close up your heart, and you don't let anybody in. You don't let your wife in. You don't let your husband in. You don't let your kids into your heart. You don't let your friends into your heart. And your roommates or your, and your family members are always saying, who is this mysterious person who lives in our home, who never opens up to us and never tells us anything that you're really feeling, you're really thinking? Why? Because I'm never going to get hurt again. I tried it once. You know, you, you know the stories. We've all got those stories. You know, you get up and you, you get up to do your piano recital and all the parents are gathered there in the room and you have this thing where you, uh, everything that you thought you knew just drains out of your head and you, you, you can't play a lick. Uh, you can't remember anything and, you know, and you're sitting there on the piano bench and you're crying and, and uh, you know, and, and you're never going to ever, ever, ever play in front of anybody else again. There's so many customers that I have that I say, would you like to try out the piano while, while I'm here so that you can tell me if there's anything wrong with the tuning? I say, oh, no, no, I'm going to try it when you leave because I never play in front of anybody. Yeah. And we are strategists on that. I'm never, ever going to get hurt again. I'm not going to open up my heart. I'm not going to open up my life to anybody. I'm not going to go to a small group. I'm not going to go to a cell group. They're going to ask me embarrassing questions about my private world. And I don't want to tell them. Because if they tell them to know me is to see me, and to see me is to reject me. There's too much bad stuff there. Live like you've got a father in heaven. We're so drawn to the survival culture. You know, how many, how many superhero movies lately have you seen where, where the superhero has gone through some terrible brokenness, but now he is independent, never going to trust anybody ever again. He can save everybody, but nobody saves him. He doesn't need to trust anybody. You know, um, how many of you thought 
Nobody's going to take care of me, so I've got to take care of myself. Nobody respects me, so I've got to make sure I get respect through violence. And I get into survival culture. I'm going to sell some drugs. I'm going to get a gun. I'm going to get respect. Or you do it in a religious way. I'm going to excel at being a public Christian. I'm going to make myself worth the space I'm taking up on God's earth by doing all of the Christian things Christians do. And I'm going to eventually prove to myself that I'm okay. Over against all of that is the Father's love. If I really believe that through the finished work of Jesus Christ, the Father loves me. As I am, if I never preach another sermon, if I, you know, He just loves me. Because I need Him. All I bring to Him is my need. (laughs) All I bring to Him is, is this record of sin that needs changing. If all I really, when I just come to God... And know that the Father just loves me. This is what Jesus brings to us as the way to the Father. Jesus is not out there on his own as an orphan. Jesus is the Son. You see, Jesus did not simply teach us what it's like for God to live on earth. Yes, he did that. But he also taught us what's it like for a human being to live by faith in a good father that he trusts. That's what you see when you read about Jesus in the Gospels. You see all those interactions with all those people. You see a person is very secure in the love of his Father. Has nothing to prove, nothing to gain, nothing to hide. He has the Father's love. And it's never going to change. Jesus um, gives us not a spirit of slavery unto fear, but a spirit of sonship by which we cry from our innermost beings, Daddy, Daddy, I need you. Number four, be part of a greater things movement. Jesus said, truly, truly, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. To him, now, the book of Ephesians says, to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. In other words, okay, greater things. Greater things. Jesus, as a, as, as a person in his earthly ministry, never left the area of Palestine except to flee to Egypt so that he wouldn't get killed. But now, greater things. His body, all glory to Jesus, his body is, is bringing the life-changing, uh, life-transforming message of the gospel to the entire globe. And you are part of this greater things movement. We're going to see greater things than we've ever seen before as we continue on as a church. 
So don't be okay with how far you have come by faith. God has more in store for you than you can imagine. No eye has seen, no ear has heard all that the Father has planned for those who love Him. Don't be okay with how far our church has come by faith. There is more glory, more changed lives, deeper worship, deeper relationships. Believe that God can take us exceedingly abundantly far beyond anything you have asked for or hoped for up until now. But are you asking and are you imagining? God is able to go way beyond anything that we can ask or imagine, but He calls you to ask, and He calls you to imagine, and He calls you to drink deeply of the love of Christ by the power of the Spirit, the glory of the Father. So be part of the Greater Things movement. And finally, and worship team, could you, call, could you guys come on up here? Let's get ready. We're going to praise the Son of God. Worship the Son of God. That's the last thing I want to tell you to do with this teaching of Jesus as the Son of God. Worship the Son of God. He is worthy. He has the name that is above all names. He is the King of kings and He's the Lord of lords. He is the risen Savior who is returning to bring salvation to all His people. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For all things in heaven and on earth were created in Him. All things, whether visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions, principalities or powers, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He Himself is before all things. And all things are held together in Him. He is the head of the body, the church, as well as the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself may have the supremacy, for God is pleased to have all of the fullness dwell in the Son. So open up your hearts and worship him and give him praise. Amen. Amen. Amen.